Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, episode 38 of the Noel Kassler podcast. I'm back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, to talk to you fine folks. And I'm fresh off of uh, a show. I had a show on Thursday night at the Norwalk Theater, or it's the Wall Street Theater in beautiful Norwalk, Connecticut. It was a great day. It was 70 degrees. And a lot of you podcast listeners came out and a lot of friends and family. And I just want to give you a big shout out and thank you for coming. You know, it's funny. I do a thing about uh, climate change in my set, you know, and nobody really wants to talk about, you know, it always silences the room. And so I do this set, you know, and I talk about how it's 70 degrees today and that unnatural unseasonable warmth led to like sort of a freak storm so like a microburst came through with really high winds blew out the transformer in the theater all the lights went out all the power went out you could smell burning electricity from the transformer fire department rushed in and i finished the show in the dark without a microphone but they had a backup generator so the lights came back on and it was it's a beautiful theater it was born built in 1915. So I went to drama school. I know vocal production and I was able to finish sort of the punchline of my story and uh, thank everybody. And then they all had to rush out. So it was an eventful evening. It was live streamed if you watched it. And uh, did you watch it, Jimmy? Yeah, I was able to catch it from uh, Indianapolis. Act of God there, man. But you handled it like like a pro, you know. Uh, good to have the theater training. You don't, you don't need a microphone. You just project with your training that's how i grew up man and like yeah. you know, going, when i went to drama school i went to the american academy of dramatic arts we had three theaters in the in the school there in new york city and you know you weren't uh you weren't using a microphone so <laughs> it was a good time my next show is in boston at the city winery on december 23rd i'm looking forward to that it's gonna be nice right before the holidays boston is a great town for that i think your aunt is coming jimmy Yes. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, she's got her tickets ready to go. Um, the theme song that you hear on our podcast, uh, my dad, Chooch Kennedy, his sister is going to be heading out to that show. And she's very excited, uh, excited to meet you. Oh, good. Uh, at, as is all other fans that go to your show. Yeah, well, that's fun. Yeah. Normally we sit around and take selfies and stuff for a long time after. And I still got to do that a bit the other night, but not as much as normal because they basically kicked everybody out of the theater you know they're like you guys gotta get out of here and i was on stage basically saying goodbye to some friends who came up to the stage and they were like you gotta go so i had to grab all my stuff and get out of there but uh that's showbiz baby and that's climate change it's not supposed to be 70 degrees in november and this week of course it's going to be in the 20s at night it's just insane i saw you know i saw a wasp on thursday you know, I, I saw a dragonfly by my pond, you know, a baby dragonfly. And he basically flew up to me and was like, what's up, bro? <laughs> you know? Like, why am I here? I'm supposed to be sleeping right now. So it's a monster and it's bearing down on us. And, and we're, we should be in a much different place as a nation in terms of dealing with it. And luckily, you know, we're making some progress with Build Back Better getting passed in the house and stuff. But as we all know, we have one of the two political parties in this country that matter completely opposed to climate change because they're bought and paid for by big interest oil companies and billionaires and people like Elon Musk who pretend to care about the environment because they're building electric cars but then they move to Texas and open a plant where they literally had to like deal with the schools around where he opened the plant because he creates so much waste and stuff and 
that guy's a fucking lunatic. Sorry to curse right off the bat, but anybody who thinks Elon Musk is a good dude or a smart dude or some tech bro savior is severely misguided. And I believe that he'll, I don't think he'll end up in the United States. I think that guy will go into exile someday and just get out of here, you know? And his whole fortune was made off of apartheid era, like emerald mines that his family owned, you know? Yeah. And the way he's trolling senators, I mentioned him because he was like, oh, you're still alive. You know, he said that to Bernie. What's his name? Bernie. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Right. Bernie Sanders last okay. week or something. He's like, you're still alive, dude. Like he's just an asshole and he thinks it's cute to troll people. And it's the Joe Rogan crowd. You know, it's your barstool sports that we have an entire half of this country has been dumbed down to such an extent that. We, we have what we had the other day. You know, we, we all know your, your doppelganger there, Kyle Rittenhouse, walked free, you know? Yeah, yeah. Give us a Kyle Rittenhouse impersonation. Oh, man. You know, no, I can't, I can't do that, brother justice. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, we, we know it's a rigged deal, uh, but just look at it from face value, right? A 17-year-old went across state lines with his mom with an AR-15 you know, if he wasn't looking for trouble, he shouldn't have had an AR-15 in the car. That, that's the whole thing. And two people are still dead as a result of Kyle and his actions. Whether you believe it's guilty or not, you know, like, it's still a tragedy. And that's all you get with guns, man. That's yeah, all you get. Exactly. There was a shooting in Atlanta, you know, yesterday. Or not a shooting, but somebody's gun went off in the airport, you know, and everybody had to run for cover. And you're allowed to carry a loaded weapon in Georgia in an airport. Like, that's just insane. You can't smoke a cigarette when you're waiting in line to check in, right? But I can sit there with a loaded pistol. You know, and the Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, that kid is just a scumbag. We all know that, okay? You know, I hate to say that about a kid, but that's an asshole. You saw him beating a girl on video, right? Weeks before the shooting. There was another video of him saying to his buddies, looking across the street at a CVS with some African-American folks in front of it. And he goes, I wish I had my fucking AR-15 right now. I'd start shooting people. So the kid was a psychopath. He was basically like, mommy, can I get in on that? You know, so after three days of unrest, he gets his mom to drive him to this town. He ends up where he doesn't belong when he starts getting the ass kicking that's coming to him because the people are trying to stop this dude walking around with an assault rifle, he kills people. A real tough guy would have put down his gun and taken him on man to man, even skateboard in hand, right? But he represents what the right fears, people stronger than them. A big lie behind it all is a lot of white men are afraid of black men. We're physically sort of inferior in many ways, whether we want to admit it or not, pound for pound, most black guys could kick the shit out of white guys, especially chubby little punks you know, that grow up on Hot Pockets and fucking Totino's pizza rolls, okay? Kid got more fat on his face than I got my whole body. No offense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know it's Midwest and y'all like the milk oh, yeah. stuff, but, you know, oh, yeah. that kid is not an example of virility and manhood, but the right likes to sell it as such. Look, he's a hero. He wants to be a cop. He wants to be a medic. No, he wants power. He, he's attracted to the symbols of white supremacy and authority, right? And it's like, I can get a gun and kick ass on these other people that my parents and my community taught me to resent, right? right. And Fox News teaches me to resent. And Donald Trump teaches me to fear, you know, and the NRA has got screaming eagles and Punisher stickers and skulls and shit, you know, and I can go be a tough guy and kick ass on these libtards that I don't understand, Right. 
Yeah. It's cowardice, man. We're celebrating a holiday next week. It's about a bunch of white people that sailed over to England because they didn't want to pay taxes and they had guns, right? So they were able to get the upper hand on the indigenous people that were helping them, that helped them survive that first winter, right? They would have died without the knowledge of the indigenous people in this land that was already here. And what did they do? They tricked them, you know, and then slaughtered them and then stole their land because we had guns. And the same guns allowed us to enslave people from Africa and bring them over here on ships and have a bunch of wealthy landowners make them do the work and then make a fortune selling cotton and goods back to Europe, right? That's all because of guns. That's what guns afforded us. It's trickery. It's an uneven exchange of power. And that's what the NRA and that's what the right wants to protect. You know, and it's gone off the rails. 40 years ago, you would not have had such a thing, Jimmy. People weren't walking around with AR-15s, I promise you. <laughs> you know, the, AR, the, the NRA was basically, it was always a lobbying company. But when, when I was a kid, it was much more about sportsmanship and stuff. It was never good. Okay, it was never a good thing. And the Second Amendment militias are really talking about militias needed when patrick henry gave his speech about the second amendment he was basically saying that's not a joke why are you laughing uh, uh, go ahead I, I was it was just the way it was leading into it that's right what... okay so patrick henry gave this speech when they were you know ratifying the second amendment and he was basically like we need a well-regulated militia what he was talking about was like what if the cops and the army's not around and the slaves revolt against us we need to be able to protect ourselves from slave up you know enslaved people uprising against us that's where the second amendment comes from just like that's where most of the police departments in this country come from you know they were started to bust unions and you know in new york city like clamp down on workers, you know, that were getting exploited in factories, you know, and industrialists exploiting people. So we, we built up these police forces. The first police forces in this country were to catch enslaved people who escaped. So we're a country based on notions of white supremacy, okay? And a lot of smart people have come here through the decades and immigrants and stuff, like, and made the best of a life and contributed to this country and helped it prosper. And a lot of those same people don't want to admit how much of an apartheid state this still is, how much there's still two separate branches of the judicial system. Okay. Kyle Rittenhouse got a lot of money from Fox News, from Ricky Schroeder, from all these people that wanted to make him a symbol of what they're fighting for. So he was able to afford a really good defense team. Right. He had O.J. Simpson's jury picker advising his defense team, which people to pick because they got good at looking at, oh, that white lady's going to be on your side. Right. And right. there was only one person of color on the whole damn jury. And it's in Wisconsin, you know, about as white as it gets. And then the prosecutor is the local yokel who goes in front of this judge all the time and wouldn't stand up to the judge berating him from the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. In the Derek Chauvin trial, they brought in prosecutors from out of state. Right. Right. Because they knew they got to bring in some big guns. You don't get local freaking idiots, you know, and, and it, the judge through this case, it probably wasn't going to be hard to begin with, because I think that jury skews towards letting somebody like Kyle walk. Nice, pudgy white kid, just like my son, you know, <laughs> just like my grandson who likes the cranberry in the can, you know, like. <laughs> You know, and, and the people he shot were rioters and looters and, you know, Antifa. 
right? So the whole thing is a scam and it's about this mythology that Americans are sold. That's the point I'm trying to get to. There's a, a mythology of American law and order and authority. And, and it's, it's a cultural sickness in this country where people don't wanna admit how corrupt a lot of the police forces are, how corrupt a lot of these judges are. And there's a lot of misguided faith in our judicial system. Every week I got people like, Merrick Garland is moving fast. Don't worry. Matt Gates has it coming to him. No, he doesn't. He's sitting there trolling on the floor of Congress all week long. He said he wanted to hire Kyle Rittenhouse as an intern. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always like older white women, too, that have so much faith in the ju judicial system. And as I said before, it'll probably offend some of my listeners, but I feel it's like this Atticus Finch syndrome. You know, I felt like you read like To Kill a Mockingbird and, you know, think everybody is some gallant white hero who's out to, to level the, the scales of justice. And that just ain't happening because we're not in normal times. And a real sane judiciary would react to that in kind. And we're not doing that. This is my point, Jimmy. Time is not on our side. They got a huge victory. This kid is going to be on Tucker Carlson Monday night, the day this podcast comes out. They were filming a documentary with him the whole time he was on trial. He's sitting there smiling in the SUV and talking about freedom. You know what that's going to be? That's going to be an ad to recruit fellow soldiers like him from here on out. And it's going to make people think twice about showing up for peaceful protests. You know, and that's a dangerous precedent for the culture of this country and for our judiciary. And you're welcome to go now. I'm not trying to cut you off. I just got to go. Hey, no, um, I was actually going to mention that point. You know, Indiana is not that far from Wisconsin. And when you get national coverage of a case like this, I don't care what you say. It sets a precedent for the surrounding states. Indiana is not that much different from Wisconsin. So, you know, it sets a tone for the surrounding states. And as you said, Tucker had a film crew. You know, when did a murder trial become an opportunity for content? When was that ever a thing? This isn't fucking TMZ where, you know, you're live reporting and wanting, everybody wants a reaction out of everyone. That's, that's part of the problem. We're so stirred up from the last five years under Trumpism. It's exhausting. <laughs> and I've only had five years of this. How do people of color feel? Like, I don't know, man. It's it's an exhausting existence right now. In yeah, well, part of America broke on Friday. That was a fault line. That was something that I haven't seen in my 50 years before. You could feel it instantly. You know, I, I, I logged onto Facebook and I saw a jury has come reached a verdict, right? And I happen to walk over and turn on, you know, CNN, which I never do. Like I never watch TV during the day. I happen to turn it on. And I saw just as the first juror, the first white lady on the charge of blah, 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 not guilty. And then I saw her just go down the line and I saw a little fat face start to cry, you know, and I saw his family start to smile. <laughs> uh -huh. and, and that was it. And I was like, this is broken. You know what a wound that would have felt like to an African-American person, you know, or anybody who cares about justice. I mean, it was a kick in the gut and we all knew it was coming. Because the judge told us, he basically said the only verdict you can reach in this trial is this good little Christian boy needs to walk free. Oh, is that my cell phone going off? Oh, that's all Lee Greenwood. God bless America. You like that song, Kyle? Of course you do. We're going to get you out of here soon. You're going to go have some apple pie. Go back to mommy, right? 
It was like they painted this image. Okay, now back to the trial. Tell us about those Antifa kids again. You, you know what I mean? It was all these little tricks and they added up to an exoneration, right? His letting him pick his own jurors and the judge comes and sits next to him and stuff. You know, all these kind of things were theatrics. They added up and it wasn't going to be hard to get this kid off anyway, because they have this stupid stand your ground bullshit in Wisconsin anyway, where as soon as I feel afraid, I'm allowed to kill another human being. How is that the case? How are people so terrified? I lived in Washington, D.C. when D.C. was known as the murder capital of the United States. OK, there was shootings in my neighborhood all the time. It was horrible. I rode through shootings where a guy be on one side of the street shooting at a dude in the other and i'm going down the middle of the road on my bicycle you know ducking for cover gunshots all the time murders homicides horrible stuff the height of the crack epidemic i never once said i need a gun do, do you know what i mean you didn't, I never, feel, you didn't feel the need to have that kind of resource and power on your side right it just wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna help the situation guns never help the situation they sell you a myth that a good guy you know the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy nope the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is stop selling them a fucking gun yeah well and you know i think the thing that is a real punch to the gut for me just because i'm you know i'm 26 27 years old and I haven't been around for that long, but the system was designed this way. And a parallel, you know, similar to what we're dealing with, with like climate change, there's some climate change that's already baked in. It's just kind of depends on how bad we want to make it. The same deal is for our democracy, but everybody's kind of waking up to the fact that, oh, it was always this bad. It just took a couple obvious characters that are wanting shows on Fox News to reveal it. And it's the justice system. You know, we've talked about the visual of the scales, you know, like the representation of the court and what it's supposed to do. It's obvious now. It's a, it's two systems. Yeah, it's a different world. You know, a, yeah. a kid, you're, well, you're not, you're 27, a 17 year old white kid who went to prep school, raped four of his female classmates, right? And a judge just sends him to four years probation. He didn't send him to jail. There was no question that he had not raped them. He raped them, but he's like, oh, you get probation. Don't want to screw up the life of a nice young white man. You know, Kyle Browder, Khalif Browder rather, gets accused of stealing a backpack at 15 years old and spends three years in Rikers Island, two of which was in solitary confinement because his family couldn't afford $600 to get a bails bond, bondsman and, and get him out. You know, and we're warehousing children all over this country that happen to have skin that looks different than you and I, right? But where white kids can do no wrong. And that's, you know, the theme of this podcast is almost that bullshit white America. We got to protect the system. We got to protect these mediocre white men's ability to go to the right prep school, the right college, go work at the right white shoe law firm or hedge fund or whatever, and keep it on, you know, keep it going. Keep this game going, this generational wealth where people don't have to work that hard, but can feel superior to people that are willing to come here and work their asses off. Right. The whole MAGA thing is basically the kernel of that whole philosophy is we hate immigrants. Right. That's 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 their guiding principle. The Mexicans are stealing your job like it's shut up and they're doing it again. You know, your Matt Gates buddy who justice is coming for was screaming about caravans this week 
Jim Jordan was screaming about caravans. And while all this crazy stuff is happening, while Kevin McCarthy is speaking for eight and a half hours, like a fucking lunatic, you know what I mean? Yeah. On the floor of the floor of Congress, Jeez. all these other states are passing draconian gerrymandering laws, Wisconsin, North Carolina. So these states are going to have like 87, 90 percent Republican representatives coming out of them. And people are going to go out and vote in the next election and be shocked at the bloodbath that's coming their way. And there's smart people pointing this out, but that's what people really need to pay attention to. And we're so close to that line where we're about to lose this thing. You know, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't be betting on democracy right now. I think if you ask me honestly, this place will be a hellhole in five years. I think we'll be balkanized like Eastern Europe. There'll be parts of the country you just don't go to. If you're a liberal and you don't really leave the cities that much, because even if you go up in the suburbs, they're going to be patrolled by big MAGA morons in their pickup trucks with their flags and their guns. You can see it happening. He's building an army right now. And you're either going to be on board with those guys or you're going to be shit out of luck. You're not going to be walking around in your Stevie Wonder T-shirt, right? No, <laughs> man. Like, what are you, a libtard? It's going to get scary, dude. You know, the no. Madison Cawthorn is a fucking moron. He's in a wheelchair telling people to be armed and dangerous, right? That was his first reaction. You saw the video he put out, right? Yeah. Right. Having, having fucking jaw on the house floor. Exactly. Screw you. He, he's dipping. No respect, but that's on purpose. That's the same reason Kristen Cinema shows up in a jean jacket and stuff. It's designed to degrade the system, right? It's designed to say the old rules don't apply. It's designed to make you have less respect for our institutions, because that's what Trump did, right? He just destroyed them all. He sort of molested anything that was good and decent about our country. And nobody stopped him. That's, that's what he gets away with. That's what I tell people in my live act. You know, the first season of his beauty pageants, he lined up the girls on the side of the stage like they were pieces of meat, walked up and down and stuck his fingers in their mouth and expected their teeth grabbed their breasts, their asses, all this disgusting stuff, took notes because he was looking for the ones that, you know, reminded him of his daughter and that he'd want to bang, basically. And people were disgusted, sitting around like, I can't believe this is happening. And you know what happened the next year? They wrote it into the schedule. They said Trump inspects contestants because the first year he did it, it cost the production an hour of union labor because all these cameramen and people were sitting around and were like, why aren't we rehearsing? Because he's checking their asses out, right? So next year, they just gave him an hour to check out the asses. Now, my point is that big business and stuff acquiesced to him. That's what happened in Washington, right? All these ethics things, having a convention at the White House, you know, that the Republicans did two summers ago, things that were unheard of, he did. And the next time around, you don't even want to imagine the kind of stuff he's going to get away with because there'll be no pushback, right? That's, that's what the Kyle Rittenhouse thing means. It means there's going to be a lot less protest next time, right? It's not just the cops that can shoot a guy in the back seven times, which is what they did for Jacob Blake, did to him for going to his car and he was reaching for a knife and they shot the man seven times. That's what the unrest was about to begin with in Kenosha. And people forget that. And there's guys on trial right now for lynching an African-American man in Georgia, right? And their defense attorneys are like, we don't want any more black preachers in here. 
Like they're not hiding it anymore. We're in a white supremacist, like guerrilla war, essentially. And the cops and the firemen and a lot of those guys are going to be down with the side of MAGA. And anybody who says that isn't the case is lying. You know, and there's a lot more judges like this asshole out there in the country. And a lot of them are on the federal bench. And a couple of them, or at least five or six of them, are on the Supreme Court. Yep. You know, if this case had gone up to the Supreme Court, it would have had the same outcome. You know, and don't kid yourself that they're going to be federal ch charges because they didn't bring federal charges against the cop who shot the guy seven times. They're certainly not going to do it against the kid who was just picking up slack for the cops who thanked him and handed him a bottle of water after he shot three human beings. Yeah, I mean, Trump killed 700,000 people as a result of the pandemic, and he's still walking free. You know, to connect the power element of this, I was watching a clip from Steve Bannon's podcast, which I guess is still on the air, remarkably. It shouldn't have even been recorded in the first place. But Mark Meadows, if you're watching the, the video, they got the lower third, right? And it says, Chief of Staff to President Trump. Current titles for people that don't have any acting power, that indicates to you right there, the powers that be, the people that are able to actually make changes to our government are willing to overthrow it next time. Exactly. And he's already sort of running a shadow government. Trump put out a statement last week that I'm sending my ambassador Rick Grinnell over to, you know, yeah. Bosnia or something to negotiate on my behalf. Like you're not president. You don't have ambassadors. You know, you're just another fat dude in a pamper playing on the golf course in South Florida now, bud. You're just yeah. another fat old man in South Florida wrinkling up in the sun. You're not yeah. the president. You're a scammer. But nobody held him accountable. He got away with it. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you think justice is still coming for Trump, you're tripping. And I'm sorry that that's negative, but you're talking to a guy who saw him get away with everything. And most of y'all don't even know half the shit he did. He groomed a friend of mine when she was 12 years old and taking figure skating lessons at his ice rink. She ended up in Epstein's house with him in townhouses. And she's like, no, you won't even believe the stuff they did to women in there. He got away with it. Stuff wasn't a secret. It just, there's too much money involved to really go after them hard. Because you start pulling on that thread, the whole sweater unravels. So it's easier for Jeff Zucker and the guys who run CNN to go after Biden, to go after Kamala, to give Chris Christie 120 hours of press time in the last week to sell his book, right? A disgraced buffoon, if ever there was one. Uh, opportunist like you've never seen. When, when Most people don't know this about Christie. When he was running for freeholder, which is like a state representative in Jersey and Morris County, he lied about his opponent to a camera. He just sat there and made up a bold-faced lie that the guy was involved in this corruption scheme and stuff. And he wasn't at all. It was just a pure lie to get Christie ahead and it worked. And then Christie became the lawyer for Bush's campaign and then became you know a US attorney and then got that inside info from Trump about Charles Kushner and locked up Charles Kushner. Then 9-11 happened and he became governor, essentially. He got confirmed as, as a U.S. attorney. Nobody wanted to fight against him in Jersey. They knew he was a corrupt opportunist who really had no experience. But 9-11 happened and the Dems wanted to appease Bush so bad because Bush was so popular after 9-11. And Christie was a, it was a payback choice. You know, it was a favor for campaigning for Bush. So Christie 
got this federal power and then became governor and then wasn't happy with governor and was a corrupt governor shutting down bridges and stuff to punish opponents and then wants to be president. You know, he would have been more dangerous than a Trump. Well, that's not fair. He would have been, he would have done probably more damage to Trump because he's got a little more, I don't want to say self-discipline because he weighs 300 pounds. So self-discipline is probably not his fourth, you know, but he's got a little more, he can speak out of both sides of his mouth. And it sounds like he's got a stick of butter for a tongue either way. There's so much fat in his vocal cords and stuff, you know, and he's got 18 chins he's talking through. I'm, I'm throwing in a little special spin for the people that get offended, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but he's got a little more establishment smarts than Trump has. You know, here's the thing about Trump. Everyone around Trump knows he's out of his mind, including his children. Right. So they sort of try to keep him occupied. Like, here's something shiny, you know, Here, here's <laughs> something that, you know, like, and it works. And then behind the scenes, you have Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon and all these guys, you know, pulling strings. And their strategy went uninterrupted, okay? Steve Bannon was allowed to turn himself in last Monday. And what did he use it for? His podcast. He live streamed himself walking into the FBI's office. That shows you the white privilege in this country. How Uh the hell are you allowed to turn yourself in? And people are like, well, that's standard procedure. Yeah, if you're a rich guy with a lawyer who can negotiate your surrender. When the FBI arrested my mom, they kicked in the door. Okay, and pulled her ass out of there with a bunch of guns and stuck a shotgun in my face and said, freeze FBI, right? If you're not rich, that's how they do it. So they're allowing the people that are trying to overthrow this country, complete free airtime. We're not being honest about Jeff Zucker and CNN. You know, every time I, I don't watch CNN, but I've turned it on a few times. They always have this both sides ism thing. You know, they'll always put a Republican on, too. It's not it's it's not both sides anymore. They're not Republicans anymore. They're Trumpettes. They're people trying to overthrow democracy. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not a legitimate political voice. Lauren Boebert was ranting this week that my friend Eric Swalwell, you know, was sleeping with Fenfen or something like what are you even talking about? Like she sounds like a, a, a craziest Karen you've ever seen. And and this is what's going out over the airwaves. There's people that admire Madison Cawthorn, little half pint Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, man. You know, there was a, there was a local anchor in Colorado talking about Lauren Boebert and how she's disruptive every day. And the news organizations only tend to cover someone when they're disruptive once they don't cover them every day. And this is a heartbreaking question for me to answer, but you kind of already gave your prediction for the future for this country. Good guys don't win, do they? The, the bad guys win in, in this, in the way that this is set up. Yeah, because the left gets too infighting. You know, right. as I address all the time, it gets exhausting speaking out on the left, right? Because right? somebody's going to be like, hey, don't be negative. We're going to vote them out. Blue wave is coming. You know, the emoji people come after you, the hashtaggers. Don't be negative. So they kid themselves. The Democrats have this Pollyanna-ish worldview. It's like Rick Wilson said, you don't bring a yoga mat to a gunfight. You know, we've been in a gunfight for five years. And, you know, you made an excellent point. That guy had a brilliant op-ed, the Colorado dude. And Rachel Maddow had him on for a segment the other night. And he's right. 
that's the same point, Jimmy. You just made the point I was trying to make about Trump's beauty pageants, right? The first time it happened, people were shocked. And the cameramen went home and told their wives and everybody talked about like, what a pig this guy is. But then it got normalized because the production company was like, well, we need to make money. And he's already got the contract with NBC and you want to make your 600 bucks a day as a stage manager. So just shut up and like, we'll just rearrange the schedule to allow it. That's what's happening now. We're normalizing insanity, right? You know, Governor DeSantis had a rally in Brandon, Florida, so he could lead people in let's go Brandon chance. Yep. I right? saw a clip, man. Right. People yeah. have those things on their cars. Let's go, Brandon. There's probably school kids chanting that on every playground in this country. Don't even really know what it means, but know that it's okay to say F you to the president of the United States. That lack of civility, that it's okay to be an asshole to your fellow countrymen because they're not on your team is the most dangerous thing that this country has ever faced. And if you don't understand that now, you're missing the game and you're going to be really disappointed when the shit comes down because it's gonna. These guys are building and girding for a civil war. They are not going to accept the results of the next election either in 22 or 2024. You're never going to have a normal democratic election in this country while this MAGA movement exists. If you exercise it, you may. And that's why the Justice Department needed to react not like business as usual, not like we're dotting all our I's and T's. You, need to do, you needed to react with the urgency of a guerrilla war being waged in your backyard, because that's what's happening. It's not going to matter what kind of charges Garland brings if those charges are six months away from the next election, because people are going to be like, it's political, don't do it. And Trump's going to get back into power. They're going to control the House and the Senate. You think anybody's going to get impeached? If those guys take back the House and Senate, all you're going to have for the rest of Biden's term is him defending himself against impeachment charges, right? Because Madison Cawthorn and Boebert and all these other idiots are going to try to hang Dr. Fauci and mm -hmm. hang Biden and just obfuscate and do the kind of stunts they did the other day. Right. When you saw Kevin McCarthy standing in the way of this bill. Do we need any more reason to get rid of the filibuster with that crap that we saw from Kevin McCarthy? Like, you know, they're obstructing. Does Biden not see this? And, and Biden doesn't want it. He should. Do. Well, it's the voting rights is why you need the filibuster is technically in the Senate. That's right. where it holds the power. What McCarthy was doing was a filibuster sort of in quotes because he's just getting up. Right. But it's technically like a long speech in the Senate. You can filibuster and, you know, sort of you get around those majority rules and it's it was invented to block civil rights legislation you know right. that that was the the why why it was used as a as a congressional tool in the first place so biden should be going after it but he's not he's not really standing up to mansion right mansion's calling the shots here and he's owned by the Koch brothers kristen cinema is probably one of the most dangerous political actors i've seen in my lifetime she doesn't speak to the press she doesn't speak to her constituents. She doesn't say what she really wants. And all the facts on her involved huge amounts of money from special interests and then her changing her votes. She had a bill that she wrote that was about taxing cyber currency companies, startups, you know, like mm -hmm. Bitcoin and all this shit. There was a tax that was going to be on these startups. And some Bitcoin cryptocurrency company didn't like that. And they gave her like $180,000 or something. 
<laughs> and we're like, can you rewrite that law? And she did. And then she got other senators involved, you know, or other congressmen. She got, I think, Ron Johnson or whatever that not Ron Johnson from Texas. There's a guy from uh, Ohio who's a sort of a troublemaker. I think it's Johnson something. He, he, he signed on to this. You know, he's also a big anti-environmental guy and stuff. So she was basically given commissions to bring in other people. And she changed the language in her own bill after she got money from a special interest, you know, so these people are in it for themselves. They're not afraid of anything. They saw Trump and Ivanka and all these guys make a gazillion dollars while they were president and get away with it. You know, if Robert Mueller couldn't hold these people accountable, nobody's gonna, you know what I mean? Nobody's right. gonna. The January 6th thing, come on, right? Well, what, what are they doing? I talked with you about it. Uh, Timothy McVeigh was convicted and executed in Terre Haute, Indiana, at the federal prison in a shorter time than anyone who's been uh, involved with January 6th. I'm not calling for the execution of those people. I'm just saying that was a domestic terrorist event that happened that Merrick Garland had oversight of. And nothing has happened. I know. And they're going to be like, well, hey, we locked up the QAnon shaman for three years. So (laughs) be thankful for, you know, small victories. You know, and meanwhile, you learn new crazy stuff every week. Jonathan Carl has a book that came out that's just full of insane stuff. They, they you know, they made the CD, CDC change data because they wanted to hide how bad COVID was. Like Mike Flynn's brother is in charge of the army in the Pacific right now. You know, he's in charge of like a third of the armed troops that we have deployed in this world right now. You know, and he was the guy who wouldn't let the Pentagon get involved on January 6th. Mike Flynn is in my feed every night with some other crazy QAnon conspiracy about this government. And people believe this. You know, I'll I'll sort of tie up this rant here in a minute, but the scariest thing I think I've seen in my lifetime is how many people think Kyle Rittenhouse is a good dude, right? That celebrated that thing. Like it's your team winning. So those kind of people are going to listen to your Mike Flynn's. They're going to listen to your Marjorie Taylor Greens. They're going to buy this BS that's going to lead to their own demise, right? But they can't see it because they've been sort of poisoned and brainwashed and manipulated for too many generations. And they don't really understand what America is. They think it's a fucking Screaming Eagle bumper sticker. Well, and you mentioned Mike Flynn's brother. You had in the peanut gallery behind Kevin McCarthy during his diatribe, Mike Pence's brother sitting next to people that would have gone along with him being hanged on the 6th. But he's sitting there, you know, going along with the whole thing, watching McCarthy go for eight hours. Like, exactly. you know, one binder to the next. How many binders did he end up using? 32? I don't know. But yeah, um, it's stupid. It's a yeah. stupid country. You know, half the time I'm like, it's not even worth saving, <laughs> you know? And like, the dumb people are winning. That's part of my frustration. I know. The, yeah, the dumb people are winning. If they were smarter, I would feel better. That's the weird thing about Trump is that he just wins. He gets so many breaks. I just don't even understand it, you know? And the people that like him get so many breaks. It's just crazy. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a bizarre world we're in. It, it really is. I don't, I don't even know what to do anymore. You know, I wish I had better advice. You know, it was a disheartening week. It's a disheartening time. We're, we're in, a, in, a, in an existential struggle for democracy. The, the environment's going to just come and, and ruin us. There are good things. There's a lot of great things in that bill. That's going to change the lives of every American. You're going to have high-speed internet. 
You know, we're working on high speed rails. You're going to replace these smaller things that I'm glad somebody's finally dealing with, you know, these school buses that are running on diesel fuel from the seventies and stuff <laughs> soot everywhere are going to be electric vehicles. One thing that uh, I would say um, as well, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving a week where a day, at least in America, where we're supposed to be thankful. I'm thankful for the vaccines, thankful for our hourly workers, you know, our essential workers that we needed up, up until this time. Don't think that we forgot about that, you know, and, and how trying of a time that still is for us. It's a lot, it's difficult to figure out what you're thankful for in, in a time like this, but try to look internally and, and find something because there is hope even within your smaller community if, if you can come together. Yeah, and you know, people are getting back together. Last year, we couldn't really safely gather. You know, if you've been vaccinated and you've been boosted and you use common sense, you know, we can come together. You know, that's what we need. We're, we're not a separate people. That's been sort of forced upon us. You know, people are exploiting under our divisions for money, right? And, and that's the real tragedy because in, in, in all these American cities, people and towns and stuff, people are divided now and they shouldn't be. People are going to be divided at their table, like at their Thanksgiving table. I can't imagine what that's like. You know, thank God nobody in my family's a, re a Republican. And the ones that are, I stopped talking to 20 years ago, long before Trump. I just couldn't go into adulthood with people that supported that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, sorry, I know we're related, but I can't be with you if you're racist. You know, if you support this stuff, I don't really have any interest in knowing you as an adult. And I'm not telling people to not talk to their families, but I couldn't imagine like sitting at a table and breaking bread with somebody that supported Trump after this point, or that thought Kyle Rittenhouse was a good dude, you know, or that people should be shooting animals for sport, carrying assault rifles and stuff. It's just, it's crazy. And somehow we have to find a way to bridge these divides. You know, I'm not the guy for that. And I'm a comedian, I'm not a leader, but I think my advice would be if you have to confront that stuff, instead of avoiding it, you kind of have to talk about it. You know, you don't have to scream about it, but I would be like, what do you like about the guy? What is in Trump's world makes you think he actually cares about you or this country? Because he let 500,000 people die when he was still president. He spent the last year and a half telling you not to wear a mask, not to get vaccinated. Republicans are more concerned about masks not being worn than guns being on the street. That should tell you where they are. <laughs> and they're all wearing masks. I guarantee you the people serving Tucker Carlson and his family, you know, are wearing masks in the kitchen when they're cooking his meals. The, the staff on Rupert Murdoch's super yacht are all vaccinated and boosted when he heads out to, you know, the Caymans or, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, St. Bart's or wherever he's going to spend the holiday. I started to, you know, reject friends and family in back in 2016. I had family members vote for Trump when he made fun of a journalist with a disability. Yeah, he made they, he made fun of me. Basically, he could have made fun of me, and they still voted for him. I know. You know, and that was before he was president. He gave you more than enough sample. Yeah. To to not anoint him with those powers. Right. But we did anyway. He wouldn't let disabled people come to the apprentice tape, taping. He thinks it's gross, so he doesn't like to be around it. You know, that's why he didn't want blind people in his building. You think Madison Cawthorn would have been sitting around at a celebrity apprentice? He'd have been like, get that freak out of here. He can't walk. It looks weak. 
you know, and and those guys would get thrown overboard by the Nazis. What do they think this eugenic stuff is all about? What do they think white supremacy and master race really means? It means if you can't walk too good, you're not that useful to us. Yeah, that's sick, Jimmy. That's well, who I've, these people are. I've thought about the idea of like I'm gonna have to wear long pants now to cover my leg braces if I have to wear them. <laughs> I'm not saying we're becoming an authoritarian state, but I've thought about how I would have to change my fashion and stuff in case. You're a baller, bro. Wear those braces with pride, man. That's strength, man. That's like, I'm taking the car. But in other countries, they hide people with disabilities. Of course they do. Because they're weak, you know, masculine, toxic, toxically masculine, authoritarian countries. And that's what they're trying to make this thing. It's all fear. They're scared of stuff. They're scared of compassion because they're scared of themselves, Jimmy. Trump is the most terrified human being I've ever met. The guy is scared of his own shadow. He's so deeply insecure that he needs these outside like things to pump him up all the time, right? So compassion doesn't feel good. That's why Kid Rock and all these guys are like, you're a bunch of pussies. You know, he's got a new <laughs> song out. We're a nation of pussies, right? Called people the F word and stuff. Like, that's what this whole thing is about. That's what this Joe Rogan kind of toxically masculine, you know, I don't have to get vaccinated. I'm a quarterback. It's about protecting the people that need a little more protection than we do. And it doesn't mean those people are weak. It means you're weak if you're not sticking out your hand and looking out for them. So don't feel, not that you do, but never feel like you have to hide who you are because that's, that's inspiration to other kids, you know, and other people that are coming up that have these adversity. Don't let adversity because other people can't handle it drive you into the shadows of anything you you know if i was you and i lived where you would i'd be having like a rainbow flag on my shirt <laughs> i'd be like you know trans lives matter any anything i could do to put it right in their face is what i would do because here's the trick most of the younger generation is a lot hipper than the boomers and the older racist crust that's still in this country right the, the younger millennials and gen z and what they're way hipper, even in pl- probably places like Indiana than the adult counterparts are most, or, or I don't know. I don't go to places like that anymore. I would say that my, my opinion on that would be that, yeah, they're aware of it, but they're also raised by their parents and they're, they're comfortable going to the country club. I, I've talked about my high school on here. I had a planetarium in my high school. Okay, the the high school football team that I broadcasted for the first high school football game ever seen on ESPN, the main channel was at my high school, they had to bring in extra lights for the for the broadcast okay. This is like a private school within a public system okay Um, and it's just that's what's disappointing to me a lot of my dad's friends grew up with like the Andy Griffith show and thought that was America. But those same people are voting for a fascist in Trump. And they think that it's going to return to the Andy Griffith show. I, I got news for you guys. It was a show. It was a television show. Like, I'm glad that you had good memories of it, but that's not what America is. So yeah. I, that's part of my frustration is like, we've been sold this Pollyanna-ish version of America, but they're voting for a fascist. Yeah, so. and their grandfathers that died in World War II did not do it to protect somebody like Donald Trump, who was just going to hand basically the whole thing over to the Russians, which is really going on. You know, the big winner this week, again, is Vladimir Putin. 
right? That's the big winner in the Kyle Rittenhouse case because it sows more division. It makes it like more authoritarian or that's it, you know, or you get squashed, right? Mm -hmm. White supremacists, you know, it's, it's troubling. You know, everything has been handed to the people that folks fought against in World War II. And, you know, and now everybody's a communist. If you don't agree with the, you know, Republicans, you're a communist. And people believe this. People are going to follow Marjorie Taylor Greene to their deaths, you know, and next time you're going to have 30 Marjorie Taylor Greens and 30 Lauren Boberts and 15 more Kyle Rittenhouses and shootings and stuff. And then stuff's going to get real crazy. Not that it already isn't, but it's going to get nuts. But anyway, that's enough of the political stuff for this week. We're almost out of time. It was an angry show. It's an angry week. I just got to be real with y'all. But um, let's talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did you? See, that was a show I did for 20 years, almost, Jimmy. And it, when I started doing it, we would just shoot it in the ballroom uh-huh. at the Waldorf Astoria. And it was a real inside baseball event, which I miss and uh, had some good times. And Dave Grohl got inducted last night. It reminded me of the first time I did a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with him. We did it at the Waldorf. It was probably 98, 99. And yeah. uh, the, he, they, he and Taylor were there to induct Queen. And mm-hmm. they sat in, Taylor played on Tie Your Mother Down and Dave Grohl played guitar and sang. And we spent the whole evening like in the hotel room and then going down to the stage and stuff. And they rocked out. And that, that same night, Steely Dan got inducted. Oh, cool. Have I told this story on the show before? I don't believe so. Right. I, I, don't, I don't recall it. So Paul Schaefer was the musical director in those days. And uh, last night, it was my friend Adam Blackstone, or the one that aired last night. We shot it. They shot it a few weeks ago. But so Paul Schaefer was the MD in these Steely Dan days. And it was a much more casual affair, you know. And Paul comes over and he's like, no, I need another guitar player for the Steely Dan tribute. We're going to do Ricky Don't Lose That Number. You're, you're with Queen tonight, right? And I was like, yep. And he's like, can you go ask Brian May if he'll get up and play? <laughs> you know, and I go, Brian, hey, you got to come play with Steely Dan. You know, you got to play on Ricky Don't Lose That Number. He's like, no, bro, I can't do that. Go tell him no. So I go back and I'm like, Paul, he won't do it. He's like, no, come on. It's a C pentatonic scale. Go tell him. And I'm like, hey, Brian, it's just a C, you know, pentatonic scale. Just get up there and play some blues riffs, you know? And he's like, no, I'm not doing it. And I'm doing this back and forth. And then finally, Brian says to me, dude, I'm in Queen. I play Queen songs that I make up. I'm not getting up there and playing with Steely Dan. (laughs) Like, you're not getting it. And it was so funny because it was like a rock star was intimidated by other rock stars, you know, because Steely Dan is like 10 chord changes in every eight bars. It's like incredibly complicated stuff that like I didn't blame him because that would have been I'm a guitar player and that would have been my worst nightmare. (laughs) But it was funny because I grew up loving Brian May. You know, he was one of the most tasteful soloists, I feel like, in that 70s, 80s era and one of the first guitar solos I ever learned was, was Killer Queen, which is a great solo. But uh, it was just funny to be like, bro, I ain't getting up there and playing with him. And that's how the evening used to be. And now it's this big produced thing. And I was involved when that shift happened. We started doing it at the Barclays Center and stuff. You know, it's a logical extension. It became a, a cash cow for HBO. And the whole thing is a fundraiser to begin with. So it makes sense to expand it. Last night's show made me a little sentimental for the smaller days because I feel it was a little long, 
you know, there's just a million acts and it was like three and a half hours, but it was good to see people. I, I've worked with every one of the artists that got inducted except for the, the Go-Go's, but the Go-Go's thanked my friends, my friend, Bruce Patron, who was a guy that I worked with for many years. And we sadly lost him suddenly last year. And, uh, he was just one of those guys who mentored me and he was the Go-Go's tour manager and in excess's tour manager and Blondie and stuff. And they gave him a shout out from the stage. So that was great. It was great to see Carol King and my boys in the immediate family were backing her up. That's Russ Kunkel and Danny Korchmar and Lee Sklar. And I got to catch up with those guys last week. They were playing the theater I was at on the Tuesday night. And this Carol King, you know, Carol King is obviously a national treasure. And I've had the pleasure of working on a lot of shows with her. And I still have a pencil that she gave me. And I'll tell the story. You know, we did this deaf poetry slam. You remember the deaf comedy jams? It might have been before your time. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Well, there used to be a show called Deaf Comedy Jam on HBO, right? Okay. Uh -huh. And then they had a spinoff, which was like Deaf Poetry Slam. And that style of poetry is all very like staccato. Like, I wake up in the morning because that's who I am. You know, it was all this like stuff. Right. So we, we shot an episode of that right after Katrina happened and the disastrous, inhumane mismanagement that Bush did, you know, basically leaving people to die. And, uh, so we did a version of this show and Most Deaf was hosting. Do you know who Most Deaf is? I don't know. I don't recall yeah. Most Deaf. Damn, I got to be cultured, dude. I, you got to culture me up. Yo, Barbara, this dude don't know who Most Deaf is. <laughs> Barbara's one of our listeners. She'll get that. All right, all right. So Most Deaf. All right. So Most Deaf is hosting. He's a rapper. He's a very, you know, if you know who Dave Chappelle is, he's friends with Dave Chappelle. He's in a lot of the Dave Chappelle stuff. You know, you'll okay. hear music and stuff. But anyway. The Roots, that whole kind of hip, okay, smart, cool. smart hip hop guy from Brooklyn. And uh, so he's hosting and every poet is getting up and they're just doing, they're just going off on Katrina. But it's like the N word is every other word in everybody's poetry. And Carol comes with this sort of kind of nice poem and we did a rehearsal and then she's sort of affected by the tone of the other you know, performers and she, uh, she wants to do a rewrite. She's like, Hey, do you have a pencil? And I hand her my pencil and she rewrites her poem right in front of me and then goes out and delivers it. And it's brilliant. And, uh, it just showed the, uh, direct connection she had as a writer and, and, and really never, it's never too late to change, you know, and, and improve what you want to say. Right. And as somebody who'd written so many classic songs, you know, going back to the early sixties, you think like, well, I wrote this thing. What do I have to learn from these younger folks? Let me just keep it, you know, keep it as it is. And no, she's like ever evolving as an artist. She handed me back the pencil and I was like, I'm a songwriter. I'm keeping this pencil. And she laughed. She's like, yeah, that's your lucky pencil, huh? Awesome. So years later, I'm doing a tree lighting with her and her wonderful daughters, one of her management people. And, uh, I said, hey, you know, it's good to see you again, Carol. You know, we did that deaf poetry thing like 10 years ago or something, you know. And she goes, yeah, I remember that. Every poem was like, N-word, 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 you know, just like. And it was uh -huh. so funny to see her imitating that style of poetry. Uh -huh. And then LL Cool J, who's awesome. You know who he is. You got your ladies love, ladies love, Jimmy. That's from yeah. LL Cool J. When LL I that. JK, yes. A good right. variation of that. Exactly. <laughs> and he's a great dude. 
one is, I've done a lot of things with him. I remember having a great conversation about Lawrence Taylor's acting skills with LL Cool J. <laughs> they were in a movie together about football. Okay. And Lawrence Taylor, do you know who Lawrence Taylor is? Yeah, he uh, he's a Hall of Fame football player, got arrested for, um, I forget the crime. What was the crime? Well, forget about he got arrested. Yeah, he had drug problems after, you know, yeah. CTE and all that stuff after football. But he was this monster football player. Yeah. You know, just a murderer. Very terrifying, you know. He, he's uh -huh. the guy who took out Joe Theismann, if you've ever seen the classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's oh, LT, right? Just a fearsome guy but a really sensitive guy sort of behind the scenes as an actor. And he did this role in this movie and it was just a revelation how like sensitive, you know, he was and how good an actor. And I remember talking with LL Cool J about it. I was like, yeah, he was so good in that. And then I ran into LL Cool J in a, we were doing a songwriters hall of fame in New York and we were in the washroom, you know, and a, an attendant handed him a towel. And I remember seeing him just like pull out a 20 just put it in the guy's palm in one of those ways where sometimes I'll observe a celebrity who is clearly a good dude and he's not doing it for flash or circumstance, you know, and there's a lot of celebrities who went in and out of that room and didn't think to give this guy a $20 tip or any kind of tip. Right. And like LL sort of is one of those dudes who never forgets how fortunate he is and where he came from, you know, and just sort of emits goodness and very hard worker, very, professional and very talented so i was happy to see him get inducted randy rhodes got a shout out one of my favorite guitar players when i was a kid my bedroom had randy rhodes posters all over it he was a guitar hero who never got the chance to have much of a career because he got killed in a plane crash because oh. a bunch of bus drivers at the the same coach company that i used when i toured called florida coach uh -huh. let their like drivers fly airplanes the guy who owned the company in florida had this like ranch and he he had a barbecue and was hosting those guys and he'd let like idiot bus <laughs> drivers fly a plane and unfortunately randy rhodes got in one of these planes uh -huh. and they tried to strafe the bus in the house for fun and crashed and died and that's the real story behind what happened to him. It never really got investigated. It happened in the early 80s and it was just kind of covered up. But it was this guy who owned the bus company who, you know, was was if that had happened today, there would have been a lot more investigation involved. And then Billy Preston, the great Billy Preston, who I was just talking about in my comedy show the other night. Billy Preston was on the first gig I ever did, which was the Kennedy Center Honors. And we were doing the tribute to Aretha Franklin. I, I told you guys that story on this show, you know? So my last time seeing Billy Preston was we did a tribute to John Lennon at Radio City Music Hall in 2001, not long after 9-11, like in October, like in a mere weeks after 9-11. And Yoko Ono had a party after the show at this thing called the Roxy Suite, which is this private apartment that's part of radio city music hall and i saw billy at the end of the show and he's like no are you going to the party and i was like no i'm not invited to the party he goes yes you are you're going with me you're my guest and he like put his arm around me and walked me into this party dude with yoko ono that's right? awesome brother good for I you i know dude so great experience yeah he's a great guy tina turner i worked with tina turner and elton john i think i've told that story on the podcast right um they got mad at each other yeah 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 i called <laughs> that on here uh-huh yeah i remember that story okay, that was, so, yeah, yeah that was crazy and elton like wouldn't come back on stage until they switched the song from proud mary to the bitch's back 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had but to switch it up, man. Tina's a legend, and it, nobody has anything but love for her. And she lives in Switzerland, which is a very cool thing. That's where I'm going to be living in a couple of years when Trump gets reelected. <laughs> Todd Rundgren, who is too cool to show up as Todd is, because Todd is God. I was talking about Todd the other night in my stand-up show, too, because I lived on a tent in Todd Rundgren's farm or a property on uh, Mink Hollow Road in Woodstock, New York in the late 70s. My dad lived in a tent one summer next to Todd Rundgren's house and on this creek, on this land that he owed. So Todd has always been a, a figure in my life. You probably don't know much about Todd Rundgren. No, not too much. My dad probably would, though. Your dad would know. Yeah. And Todd Rundgren was an engineer at 19 years old. Like, have you ever heard the band albums, like the weight and all these famous songs? I, I will want to get off this show, dude. Oh I want to God. listen. Jimmy's going to get fired today, folks. So I, if, if I, I, yeah. resumes. the band, bro, Levon Helm and the band. All right. Levon Helm. Duh, dude. I'm sorry serious? to be offensive. I'm sorry to be offensive. Yeah. No, no, it's good. Have you ever yeah. seen the last waltz? I have not. Oh. I need to. You got a lot of homework to do, brother. I got a lot for this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially to honor your father, because these are definitely the guys that influenced your father. He's disappointed, but... I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> what I'm yeah. but Todd Rundgren was the engineer in all these band records. Most people probably don't know this, and they didn't get into it on the show, because Todd is known for his own innovation. He had a song called Hello Is Me, which was a big radio hit in the 70s, but he was the engineer on all those classic band albums that you heard that were recorded at Bearsville Studios, which was another luminary kind of like situation where when I was growing up and uh, everybody recorded there, the Stones would go record there. It was up in stock and I, I lived right up the street from there and it's very cool. So, you know, in terms of like dudes that matter in rock and roll, Todd Rundgren is right up there. Jay-Z gets inducted i've done a gazillion gig you know <laughs> things with jay-z i could tell jay-z stories all day long i won't today i'll think of one though and it's a moment i'll always think of jay-z and when we did the the inauguration the first inaugural balls for barack obama we, we started the first show like the first uh -huh. major ball where the, they come out president obama and michelle obama and have the first dance Right. And Beyonce sang at last. And it was this moment that just gave everybody in the room the chills. She stretched out the vowel sound of, uh, you know, just forever. She held that note forever and it bounced around the room until everybody got hip to what the significance was of this moment to see this beautiful couple take their place in history. You know, your first African-American president, your first brilliant, smart African-American first lady have this dance and be feted and celebrated in a way they had earned and their forefathers had earned, but they were the ones to, to see come to fruition. And she held that note so long that everybody in the room got it. And I was standing there and Jay-Z was standing next to me and we we're both sort of like right on the side of the stage behind this duvetine. And I looked over at him and I was like, pretty cool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah sure is you know he's a very cool guy he's very kind of quiet behind the scenes he's always watching you know i remember doing a show with him probably 99 or 2000 at the lincoln center it was a vmas and it was one it was the year i think like hard knock life came out and he really blew up and he had like 300 people come out on stage with him and stuff and at the end of the show i'm down in the parking garage trying to get all the talent out 
And he just sat away from his entourage and somehow fixated on me. And I'm in this parking lot like, hey, do we have the car for Mir Mira Sorvino? You know, do we have the car for the Ramones? Like all these people, is a U2 car ready? I'm just running around trying to get everybody out of this building. And Jay-Z is kind of like watching me, like really intently, like mm -hmm. interested in what this element of the show was. Do you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like he was just observing the technique that I was employing and like how it was working. And uh -huh. it, I just noticed it. You know, at first I noticed it because I'm like, damn, Jay-Z's looking at me. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like yeah. I better up my game, you know? Yeah. But, uh, it, 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 it also like, you know, I observed him observing me and, and that's the vibe I got is that, you know, he's such a smart guy and he was just looking to understand how everything worked. You know, because this was sort of at the beginning of his ascent. His first two albums weren't that huge. And then, you know, this I don't know if it was the blueprint or whatever, the album that just blew him up. And, and obviously he's one of the biggest stars in the world now. But I remember that about him, that he wasn't like surrounded with tons of people. Like he brought a bunch of people, but he sort of stepped away and just observed what other folks are doing, you know, which led me to believe, led me to believe, you know, he's just as interested in what's happening behind the scenes, you know, and obviously he's a huge sort of mogul businessman. I, uh, I saw a great clip of um, Jay-Z. He was on the subway. Okay. And it's a really crowded subway, but he's sitting next to this older oh, yeah. white woman and just says, you know, Hey, my name is Jay. You know, like the everyday man, as, as much as, you know, as famous as he was, he took time to talk to this lady. I mean, that, that kind of shows you who he is. That, yeah, that video that, that was captured. I, I know that clip. Well, that's exactly who he is. That's a perfect example. That's and the awesome. last time I saw him, probably not the last time, but a Beyonce played a Super Bowl in New Orleans, the one that power went out and stuff. And then like a week later, we're doing the NBA All-Star Game in Houston, which is our hometown. And we had a party afterwards. There's always this legendary party. Have I told this story before? Um, you may have to me off the air. I don't know if it's been on an episode. All right, well, I'll tell it again and then we'll close out the show. But okay. I'm sitting there dancing you know, with my buddy. And we're like, we're not good at dancing. And this is like, <laughs> you know, the DJs at the NBA All-Star Game, like this is the super hip after party, you know, like invite only, celebrities get turned away, like super hip. I'm only there because I'm part of the, you know, so the talent department staff and stuff. Right. And I'm standing there with my buddy, Phil, who's another like white dude in his 40s who knows nothing about hip-hop you know we know it's good but we just we're not like we're, we're you know it's nba dancers that are dancing around <laughs> you, you know okay. what i mean it's just like yeah. we're, we're just like it <laughs> just you're, you're out of place trying to stay in the out pocket. of place right and we're yeah. trying to do it and then he's like yeah i'm gonna get out of here and i was like yeah me too man and as soon as i say that i see this face coming towards me and i'm like damn that looks like beyonce and then I see her go past me and I see Jay-Z right behind her. And I'm like, damn, it is Beyonce, right? <laughs> and they come right next to us and start dancing. And now all of a sudden I'm like, damn, I'm right next to Jay-Z and Beyonce. And I can't <laughs> leave now because it's awkward, but I have to somehow sort of like dance next to him. You know, uh -huh. with my white man's overbite. I kind of do the <laughs> cabbage patch, you know, I just get into the cabbage patch and, you know, pray yeah. for a, a better outcome. But my point is, you know, those, they're both regular people. I couldn't, I mean, they're not regular people. They're Jay-Z, <laughs> but there's something so genuine about the both of them 
if you're lucky enough to be around them that, you know, I, I'm very happy for their continued success. And they're just a lot of fun to be around. And he had a great speech. It was the highlight of the night. And Dave Chappelle was, was pretty decent too. It was a introduced him and I like what he had to say. And, uh, and that's about it. I think it's time to wrap it up. This has been a long show. There was a lot to unpack this week. Sorry for all the anger, but you know, we're in tough times. I'm not going to pull any punches. I'll turn it into punch lines if you come see me live. And the next chance to do that is in Boston, the great state of Boston, December 23rd at the City Winery, which is a beautiful venue. I'm doing two shows, 6 and 9 p.m. So come on down. You can get tickets at noelcastler.com. You can find me on Twitter and I will see you next week. Have a great Thanksgiving. Jimmy, what do you want to tell the people? Uh, check out my stuff, jbkonair.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. DM me there as well, uh, jbkonair. Check me out. All right. Jimmy wants the DMs. You know what that means, <laughs> ladies? Ladies, LLJK, slide into them DMs. Yeah, you brought it up, man. I got to close the deal. LLJK. I hear you, player. <laughs> All uh, good. All good. It's Thanksgiving, right? When? I'm wearing my hotter than July Stevie Wonder album shirt. You know, I mean, hey. I told my I told my big Stevie Wonder story the other night on stage, and the power went out right at the right at the crescendo of yeah. the story. But that I was able to finish it, you know, without the microphone, which was cool, and Stevie would have appreciated that. But uh, good to see you repping Stevie. There's no one better than Stevie Wonder, and uh, there's no one better than than anybody who's got some love in their heart and is willing to admit when they're wrong and see things in a different way. And, and that's what we have to do. You know, ultimately we will prevail. I know it's negative and we're going to probably go through some harder times again before they get much better. But overall arc of this thing is bending towards justice, you know, to borrow a phrase that's overused from the great Dr. King, but you know, that legislation when that stuff starts kicking in, there will be good things to come. And hopefully that'll pull a few people away from Fox News and this propaganda that's designed to take them down. Until then, enjoy your holiday. We'll see you next week. This has been episode 38 of the Noel Kassler podcast. Thanks, folks. <laughs>